Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 242 and this episode is with the Senior Academy Sports Scientist at Aston Villa, James Comboy. James came on and he discussed um, how his experience as an analyst assists his role. He spoke about transitioning between roles. He spoke about aligning the academy programs at the club and also his experiences across uh, a number of different age groups within the academy. And then also he spoke about how he's used video analysis on his coaching practice and what he's taken away from that and how you could potentially use that within your practice to improve your coaching and communication as well. So I hope you enjoy the episode with James. Just a heads up on a couple of events we've got coming up. A couple of our networking events. On Tuesday the 13th of June from 6 till 9pm we're going to be at the Institute of Health and Performance in Manchester for an event where we're going to be focusing around the preparation for the next evolution of the women's game. We've got three brilliant speakers lined up. Nicola Pickford who's first team physio for Stockport. We've also got Amy O'Keefe who's performance nutritionist at Manchester United Women. And alongside them, Naomi Myhill, who's a PhD researcher with the FA and Leeds Beckett University. Tickets are still available for that event. So go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab, or you can check out our socials for the links to get tickets to that event. And also for anyone down south, on Tuesday the 4th of July, 6 till 9pm, we're at Go Performing Reading. We've got two brilliant present, uh, presentations coming from Pordy Roche lead physical performance coach for Arsenal Women, alongside Will Haler, who's Reading FC Academy Sports Scientist. Again, tickets are still available for that event as well, so make sure you go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and then the networking events part of the shop, and you'll be able to purchase tickets for the events there. If you've not done so already, please head over and leave us a short review, either a written review over on Apple or just simply clicking the five stars over on Spotify. It really does help the podcast. Um, For the amount of listeners that we've got on the podcast so far, we've got under 100 on both of those, and I'm really keen to grow it. So if you've not done it already, please head over and leave us a short review. I really would appreciate it. A big, big thank you to our sponsors. First up, Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood, blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. And also a massive thank you to our longest sponsors, that is Rezzle, doing some incredible work in VR. Um, We checked them out at the most recent soccer science conference, and it was a brilliant presentation by Ben at Rezzle. Make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle on socials. And here is episode 242 with the Senior Academy Sports Scientist at Aston Villa, James Conboy. 
Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 242. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast James Coneboy. James, how are we? I'm good, thanks, Ben. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. So thanks for freeing up a bit of time. No problem. No problem at all. That's on the year, isn't it? So, yeah. It is. It is. End of season. Have you got some breaks planned? Yeah, we're... Uh, so we're just finishing up now. Um, and then most of June... We'll, uh, we'll be on a shutdown kind of thing with a few players in and out and then, yeah, back out of July, start of July. Nice, nice, brilliant. Well, it's great to have you on, mate. I know we've got a few topics we're going to talk about in a little bit. We'll start the podcast as we always do, though, and that is on you and your career so far. So can you take us back and give us a little bit of a journey that's led up to your role? Yeah, sure. So um, I went to uni uh, Liverpool John Moores University, I studied sport and exercise science. That was probably something I knew I wanted to do um, for a while, sort of like sick form and things like that. I probably knew that I wanted to go and do that. Um, I had it in my head that I wanted to get involved in sport, elite sport in in some way, but I didn't really have like a, an avenue to pursue. So I chose, chose sport and exercise science because it was quite broad and knew that I could go down a few different routes with it. Um, sort of into my second year of uni, I got a job doing, I was just sort of doing some like part-time analysis work. I was working for a company called PGMOL, who I'm sure everyone's heard of there. Company that looks after refs and VAR and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was working with them and just doing some sort of like clips on the weekend, just like casual work. Um, so that was my first like in, if you like, into into sport and the and the world of the world of analysis. Um, used to do some like GPS data and stuff like that as well. So that was really good for me. And then towards the back end of my second year, it was something that I knew happened anyway, but I, I managed to get a place on the Everton internship, which I know you, you would have had a few few guys on here that, that would have done that as well. Um, so that was sort of like alongside my third year at uni. So that was with the guys there. It was John McKeown at the time, John Noonan, Jack Dowling, Nick Coleman, all those type of guys. Um, so that was really good. And that was sort of my first insight into uh, elite sports, sort of working within a club. Um, obviously been a football fan my whole life, so it was really good to to be in that environment. Um, so loads of experience throughout their year working across all the if different departments, analysis, um, GPS data tracking and monitoring, SNC, everything that sort of comes up in the sports science spectrum. I was, I was obviously with the analysis alongside it. Um, and then sort of got to halfway through that year and I was really enjoying the strength and conditioning aspects. So enjoyed being on the grass with the players, enjoyed being in the gym. Um, especially with the younger ones. And then so sort of wound up applying for a master's in SNC, um, which I started in that September. In sort of that summer interim period in between my third year of uni and my master's, I sort of ended up working as an analyst again, which was um, a good experience because with a national team and it was at a tournament. And so I was away for about a month working with those guys. And that was that was a really cool experience. Um but then got back and sort of was getting after the SNC. So I was still at still at Everton. So I did like a second year internship there. Um and alongside my masters. And then halfway through that year, that academic year, I got a job down at Aston Villa. Um so I initially started as like a sports scientist with the with the nice to fourteens age groups, um, just sort of mopping up all the athletic development and stuff like that in in those ages. Um about six weeks after that, COVID hit. So it was a short-lived period in terms of being at the club. Um, in person, but they were really good with us in terms of looking after us in terms of um, working. We worked pretty much all the way through online and stuff like that. Um, and then last season, I was doing the under 15s and 16s, so sort of lead across the nice 16s. Um, and then this season, most recently, sort of transitioned into doing the under 18s. I've done just finished my first season with those guys. Um, so lots of roles in probably a short period of time. Um but lots of experiences as well. Brilliant, mate. You you mentioned there about um, getting that interest in S and C and then leaning more towards that from the analysis side. 
Yeah. And then you said, especially with like a, academy players. So what was the pull mm. for you to lean more towards like that development and academy setting rather than like pushing towards a first team? I think I think if I'm honest at the time, it was something that had to happen because the opportunities due to the first team manager at the time weren't there for interns. It was the first team, it was sort of very they like to keep their circle quite close, which obviously you get in a few different situations. Um, so all the real opportunities to deliver, to coach, um, to get your hours in, if you like, were were with the academy. So sort of through, whilst I kept up with like my first team responsibilities and stuff like that, that was more sort of like your more typical intern jobs. I sort of threw myself into everything I could down at the academy side. Um, and I've worked with kids before and like I did a few volunteering like coaching roles and stuff before I went to uni and stuff like that so I had sort of like a background in in working with and alongside children um and it's something that I really enjoy um I like seeing the journey that they go on not only sort of like from an SNC point of view but just holistically as they go through an academy it's obviously a massive journey a massive part of their lives um and yeah it's just good to see the development in them because obviously you can see development quickly you can see the things that you're working on come into come into action quickly um whether that's like a pattern in the gym or a movement outside um so yeah just really enjoy seeing progress nice and quick with those guys and and yeah bouncing off their energy a little bit as well that was good fun yeah definitely with, with the experience that you've had across those different age groups as well do you feel like there's different skill sets required? Obviously, there's the technical side in terms of what you're actually delivering, but in terms of like maybe the personal side and actually engaging with kids at different ages, because you've mentioned they're up to 18s, it's going to be very different from 18s down to an under 10s, for example. What yeah. are some of the maybe the key traits or key attributes that you feel people need to or coaches need to work on at those different stages? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, that it does differ a lot. In terms of, you know, you can't coach or be the same as you would with a nine-year-old and eighteen-year-old. That's sort of like an extreme example, but it's just getting to know, getting reps at working with those age groups, and then getting to know what makes them tick. Okay, how can I get buy-in from this group of players or this individual? With the younger ones, it's obviously all about energy, putting on fun practices, and and sort of matching them. And it's it's great because you get to be a little bit of a kid yourself as well at times in terms of in terms of playing fun games and all that kind of stuff. If that's if that's the objective. Um, when they get into like their teenage years, you have to really be consistent with them in terms of um, they'll be growing and maturing and they'll be grumpy at you at times. They won't want to be in the gym and all that kind of stuff. So you have to be consistent with your approach and be understanding that they're going to be times like that. Um, I've really enjoyed this year with the 18s and just in terms of the, the time that you spend with the players, you get to build really good relationships. So you get to know them outside of football Obviously, they've finished school and they're in the building a lot, a lot more. So you get to know um, about them and what makes them tick, what motivates them to be here, for example. Um, so, yeah, it's just knowing when to push and when to pull, if you like, around certain bits and when to... Yeah, you have to be a little bit emotionally intelligent at times with with kids of certain ages. But I think it's stuff that comes naturally once you get, once you get a grip of different age groups and different reps of, of different stuff. Yeah, definitely. We've had this conversation on the podcast before, James, but I'd be interested to uh, hear your point of view on it. Do you feel like coaches, and this doesn't just refer to yourself, other people that you've worked with and seen work within academy setting, do you feel like some coaches are more set working at the top age groups in terms of 18, 17, 16s, and are more suited for the younger ages? And it's that's like where they should really create that expertise? Or do you feel like within an academy that you should have that um, flexibility to be able to go right across the ages? I think it's definitely, you definitely do need to be flexible because if you're going to run a programme effectively, you need people to to jump in at different times. So if I'm off sick or if I'm not in the building one day, I need someone else to step in. So they need to, they need to be flexible in terms of being able to do it all. But I do definitely think that the profession maybe needs to get to a point in the near future where you do have specialists um, coaches in each in each age group or each area um, mm. because it is very different. And I know certain coaches really do really enjoy different age groups and they're not necessarily bothered about working older, but then obviously at times pay and, and um, seniority in a department and stuff like that doesn't reflect all those things. Yeah. So I think it yeah. does need to get to a point where 
you do have specialists, sports scientists or SNC coaches working with particular ages. Um, because if you look at that nice to 16s bracket, obviously, obviously that's often coined as as one, but as four, five, six, seven, eight developmental stages within that within that bracket that are going to need specialist attention and coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think people at times can be in a rush, but I think if there was sort of like the the structure behind it where you could become a specialist in one area, it might encourage people to be to say, okay, actually no, I'm going to work with the younger age groups. This is this is what I'm really passionate about. This is what I want to do. Um, and it's something that I've come to realize. I think it's something I'm still figuring out myself. So I don't know if I if I want to be an academy guy, a first team guy. Like I think it's something that everyone has to figure out, and it's going to look different for everyone. Yeah, I think it's key doing what you've done, though, isn't it? And, and doing it at the moment and picking up those experiences across the age groups and even up to first team level, because then you do realize then, don't you? It might not be um, the plan that you initially set out for at the start of your career, but then you only know by doing, don't you? And I, I think the other thing that's important, what you said, because obviously having that in mind where you have a specialist at a certain age group is great, but you've just like hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the realities of what happens at football clubs. Like you're not necessarily going to be with that age group all the time. There's yeah. going to be that that need for um, being able to adapt to a situation like you mentioned, if a staff member's off or whatever. So I think that's, that is really important as well, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's something that I think is important for clubs to get right in terms of giving everyone across the board exposure to to different ages. So if you've got a sports scientist or an SC coach or whoever working with the younger age groups, okay, can you expose them to a day a week or a morning a week in terms of working with the older ones? So they get to know the players, they get to know the programme so that when you do need to make those switches, um, they can be made uh, and it sort of helps the programme run fluidly. Yeah, definitely. I'm intrigued to ask about um, your experiences in terms of the analysis side and how that crosses over into your role now. So where do you feel that's been a real positive for you in what you do now? Um, I think the first first thing would be just it allowed me to have like a broader range of experiences. That was sort of the initial part of it. So um, I developed obviously the skill set through, had a little bit before, but then I learned the skill set through the guys at Everton um in the analysis department when I was there and then there was opportunities that arose off the back of that just off the back of sort of being diligent with it and and knowing what I was doing um in terms of coding and and having a little bit of an eye for it so it 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 broadened my horizons in terms of being able to take on extra opportunities but also like when I was there at the time I was able to take on every hour that I could just because I knew that I could do both sides of it the S&C and the and the analysis um and then in terms of what I do now, I think obviously we have to have a good a good understanding of the game in order to be able to manipulate like an on-pitch drill or stuff like that. So I think it just really helps with reference points with players. So if you're working with a player in a particular position on the pitch and if you've got a good a tactical understanding or a technical understanding of what they're supposed to be doing, um, then you can, you can help have a good conversation with that player. You can help manipulate a certain drill or you can work closer with a coach around a particular player's individual plan or whatever that looks like. Um, so I think it just basically gives you, or it's basically given me a, a broader knowledge, a, a wider skill set in terms of um, my work now. Obviously, you get the soft skills and stuff like that in terms of um, being able to use sports code and being able to do clips. A lot of that came in handy in COVID when we were making making eye moves, eye movies every week for our, for our athletic development. But... Um, yeah, stuff like that is is good, but I think basically just gives you a broader skill set, a broader horizon to sort of work from. So, would you encourage that when you speak to your younger coach? I say younger, not exactly old, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah. coaches that are maybe a little bit earlier in their careers. Is that like even down to people going still going through um, degrees or internships or whatever it is? Is that a key bit of advice you give them in terms of getting across a few different roles? Yeah, definitely. I think, like I say, I'm not exactly old. But when but when I look back on it, when I look back on it now, I'm glad that I sort of threw myself into everything because I ended up liking those two things. There was there was other things about the role or about being an intern or about a job that you won't like and you won't get on with, but you don't know necessarily know that you're gonna not like or like those things unless you do them. So you have to sort of for me anyway, I had to try everything because 
like I said at the start, going into uni, I knew that I wanted to work in sport, but I didn't have like a set role or a set job title in mind when I did that. It was sort of like, okay, I definitely know I want to do this thing, but I need to figure out what exactly it looks like. Um, and the internship was great. Keep going back to it, probably like, because I really think it formed a lot of who I am. But the the internship was great because we did loads of stuff. We, we could get involved in anything we wanted, really. And there was opportunity to develop in all areas. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely something I would encourage because but for me, you need to get across everything to understand a wider program, such as an academy, because it's a big operation. There's lots of different job roles and you have to work with everyone. But also to understand what you like, what you don't like, so that when it comes to picking a master's or when it comes to applying for jobs, you really know what you're getting after. You can really sort of specialise at that time. Yeah, brilliant. And I, I don't blame you for bring, bringing up the internship because it's something, obviously, I've had a, a fair few people on the podcast that have been through that same process. And when you're in the event that you spoke at recently, the alumni event, you look around at some of the, yeah. the coaches in there. Obviously, it's, it's a program that is working in, in some way, shape or form. It's creating yeah. good practitioners, isn't it? So is that what you think from, from your side and actually experience it? Is it just that exposure? Is that the main thing that makes it stand out? Is that for the internship that is on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, obviously, John and the guys have been running it for a number of years. So the way that they run it is... Is obviously smooth. It's they know what they're doing each year when they get the, the guys in. Um, so they know exactly the processes and the difficulties that you go through as an intern, and they can sort of manage you along the way. Um, but it, it's definitely the fact that you get to know everything and everyone almost by the, by the end of that year or the eighteen months that it was for me. You, you feel like a member of staff. You yeah. feel like part of part of the club almost. Um, which is how you obviously get to feel when you're full time in a job as well. Um, so that's how that's how it made made you feel. And then because you're there, or you because you have the opportunity to be there pretty much like as often as you want if you're willing to put the time in, then you do get to know all the kids. So like you know everyone from nines all the way up to twenty threes or twenty ones as it was, as it is now. Um, and you. You get to know all the staff, all the staff that works with those age groups. At points, you have to build relationships and and have um, close relationships with different staff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's just the fact that it gives you everything, um, and there's a clear process in place because they've done it over a number of years. There's a clear process for people to go down and sort of follow, no matter what you want to pursue. Brilliant. And in terms of your uh, transition between roles, especially recently when you said that um, crossing between roles, how have you found that? And what's been your approach as well when you're going into a new age group? What's been the appro approach stepping in with them? Yeah, obviously, been done three roles in, in three and a half years-ish here. Um, so I think initially because it was COVID and stuff, I found it, or whatever, I would have found it difficult to sort of see everyone and know everything, especially having only been in for six, seven weeks before, before that kind of stuff kind of hit. Um, so initially it was really focusing in on what I had to do within my job role. Um, and we could take some time to read over some key documents and improve our processes and that kind of stuff. So initially it was all about that. And then as I sort of transitioned into my next one, I think because I spent a lot of time when we were allowed back in the building, sort of talking, um, getting to know the players at, at those ages, as well as what the programmes looks like. Again, similar to how you would work as an intern, taking every opportunity to sort of cover and say, no, I'll be able to, I'll be able to do that or I'll come in early to facilitate that for you, whatever that might be. I think those things are important early doors, especially in like your first job. Um, so that, you do have a broader idea of what it looks like in terms of when I came into 18s this year. I think it's important in any job really. So you sort of don't want to go in all guns blazing thinking you're going to change the world within a month um, because I think you lose people that way. You lose players, you lose staff. So I think it's about sort of building initially. I think building relationships is really important. Um, and then from there, as soon as you've got those relationships, you can try and put your own stamp on things and your own, your own sort of authority on things, if you like. Um, and then eventually, obviously, I've only been doing it a season, so I wouldn't class myself as good at it by any stretch. But eventually, obviously, you feel more comfortable within the role. Um, 
the stuff that you've added on initially that becomes part of your normal routine now so you can add some more stuff on and keep layering it on and on um but yeah i think not going in all guns blazing would be one that i definitely thought about when i came into 18s and initially into 15 16s as well um just because i think it's important that people get to know you and before you sort of start trying to change things or go dramatically away from how it was done previously I think it's interesting what you mentioned as well before about the time you spend within the 18s role with players. And it's yeah. much more than just your strength work or your speed work or whatever you're going to be doing, isn't it? Because you get you need to create those relationships. So that differs, doesn't it, to lower age groups where obviously time, not that time isn't important within 18s, but you've got a little bit more available, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so in terms of the soft skill side, do you feel like that is much more of an important skill when you get to that age group to develop that and bring those players on? Yeah, definitely. You have to be, I think, like you say, it's not just a, you're not just getting after strength. You're not just the strength guy. You're not just the speed guy, the warm-up guy. I think you have to be, especially what I've found, you have to be sort of, um, you have to be a lot of, a lot of, around a lot of areas, sorry, across a lot of areas mm. um, in terms, both in terms of sort of like the players and, the manager's name, obviously, being a scholar, there's a lot of physical work that goes into being a scholar in terms of prep and then strength work. So obviously, it's really developmental sort of period. Um, so you do have a lot of contact time with the players. And I think it's important. You can't always be the guy that's sort of like, you can't always just be the gym head. You're always talking about the gym. You're always talking about the warm-up. You're always talking about this and that. To do with s and C, I think you have to obviously, you have to treat them as a person, first of all. You have to treat the players as a person. What do they what do, they, what do they like? What do they don't like? What's their family life like? Um, what did they have for tea? Or like these basic things that just help you build build relationships and break down barriers a little bit. Um, so yeah, the soft skills side definitely important, both with players and with and with staff as well. Because um, yeah. similar to players, you see in the staff a lot, you're working with them every day. You want to have sort of like a consistent approach with. With the coaching staff and the physiotherapy staff, whatever that is, then you need to you need to have good good soft skills and build good personal relationships alongside the professional ones. I think. Now, a huge advantage of being a member of our online community is the fact that you get access to coaches and the ability to connect with coaches right around the world. And most recently, we've had coaches signing up from a number of different clubs across a number of different leagues, including League Two in England and the Eredivisie in in Holland. A-League, League of Ireland, the Women's Super League, Bundesliga, um, MLS, and a number of others as well. So if you want to interact and connect with coaches on our community, you've got hundreds of coaches now at the, at the touch of a button that you can set performance questions for, anything that's coming up within your role, as well as getting access to all the amazing content we've got on the platform. Then the good news is if you're not a member, you can get a 30-day free trial by going to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there. It'll give you 30 days for free. After your 30-day free trial, it becomes a paid membership. And after that point, you do get access to our members' WhatsApp group, as well as all the content that will be coming over the next few months as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with James Conboy. And those conversations, obviously, really important, aren't they, about everything, about what makes them tick and all the rest of it, because then you can essentially relate to those trigger points with players when you need need them to do the work or stay consistent yeah. or whatever it is. But in turn, it might sound an obvious question, but when do you have those conversations with players? Because obviously, it, even though there is more time with the 18s, it's not as if you've got all the time in the world to break yeah. into individual meetings or whatever it's going to be. So where do you find like the that time to get that information out of the players? I think I think it's it's like I found it important for it to just to come naturally. So yeah. Like, like I would ne- I would I wouldn't never, but I wouldn't often force a conversation around a particular topic with a player. Um I think once you get to know them and they get to know you, you start to have those conversations more naturally. I think like they're they're people even though they're young, they're people. So you might try and find some common ground. Um, I like basketball, so I know a few of the lads like basketball, and we talk about that. Um, and that just starts different types of conversations. Um, I think, you, like, you don't have to try. I think you'll find common ground with everyone, um, every player, every member of staff. And then you sort of just like, 
hang on to those bits and then create a bigger relationship from there. Like, I don't find it difficult or have like a lack of time in the day to get to know people. I think that's because I think if you make that a priority, you'll always make time. But also there's there's loads of mini like opportunities within a day to just get to know people and, and find out a little bit more about them every single time over the course of a two-year scholarship, for example. If you do that, if you're consistent with that, you're going to have a great relationship with players by the end, even by a year sort of thing. Um, and they, it's important that players know about you as well so they know about they know about you know what I want to do in the future or whatever because it helps me become more of a person to them as opposed to a member of staff they trust you a little bit more they want to talk to you a little bit more um and then when it comes down to me giving my knowledge in, in terms of SNC or sports science to them they probably trust my opinion a little bit more because they know me um so if I say oh, I think this exercise would be really good for you but they're not quite on board with it if they if they know me, they're more likely to probably say, actually, no, like I, I trust James, I'm gonna do it. If they don't, they might just they might just not or they might disagree or you're less likely to get some buy-in in terms of your your SNC and sports science work. Um so it's finding those little opportunities throughout the day, probably throughout each week, throughout each month, just to build a bigger picture of of the people you're working with. I think a lot of what you're talking about in terms of the commonalities and taking advantage of those many opportunities is is making yourself approachable for the players isn't it yeah yeah so it's, it's like they know that they can come to you with whatever because you've had these previous encounters or conversations where they feel comfortable yeah i think that's really important for coaches isn't it that, that knowing that you don't have to it doesn't have to be a, a meeting or anything like that but it's just the fact that the players know they can come to you and then and then that builds trust then doesn't it yeah definitely yeah like like you say approachable is probably the key word um just have to be a person first of all and I've said that already you have to be a person and then layer the professional stuff on top of it or the S&C stuff or the sports science stuff but I think being personable being approachable really important in probably any job if you want to be successful in any job but I've, what I found particularly in my job at the minute is that's that's been the case Brilliant and then in terms of the alignment throughout the academy throughout the different ages how have you found that? Because obviously you've had exposure to those different age groups, but then obviously different staff members coming into this now as well, working with different ages. So how have you found that alignment as players move through the academy process? Yeah, I think I think I came in at a, an unfortunate, but also a really fortunate time in terms of what we spoke about before. COVID just started and I'd imagine people listening to this or people at other clubs will have very similar experience in terms of that gives you, that takes away a lot of opportunities in terms of working with players, but gives you a lot of opportunities to work on your processes and your documentation and all that kind of things. Um, so that when you when we were back, we were in a lot better place. So we sort of sat down as as a department um, and figured out what, what it really was that we wanted to get after in terms of long-term athletic development. Obviously, you've got the research that backs that up. But, okay, we're Aston Villa. What as, as a club do we want to sort of do? What are, what are our key principles? Um, and like, how does that fit in with each squad throughout sort of the week? Um, so that's something we really did, and we spent a lot of time while we were during lockdown, um, and that's really formed a lot of our work, sort of probably to this day. Um, obviously, you make little tweaks along the way, and when you change things as new research comes out, or you change things as you sort of have a slight difference of opinion. But that's sort of, I think, having that broad understanding of this is what we as a club or we as a department really want to do then that helps the alignment across all the ages. So if we've got it, if we've got it so that we've got really clear processes from nine to 12s and then from 12 to 14s and then from 15 to 16s, if those staff do chop and change, which obviously happens a lot in football and, and probably will continue to happen across across all departments in all clubs, then when someone comes in, you can really, or they can really sort of hit the ground running in terms of there's a structure in place for them. They don't have to, rewrite the book or change the world with their with their way of working there's a structure and they can sort of just like I like to call it like creative freedom or like artistic license you have like this structure in place but each coach will have their certain way of doing it or their certain way of coaching their certain way of manipulating session design but as long as the outcome or you're all trying to achieve the same outcome then I think that's that's fine. So yeah, I probably look back on that lockdown period quite fondly in terms of that kind of stuff and those processes that we were able to put in place. 
Um, it was Dean Harris at the time who was like our nice 16s lead and he really sort of led on that process, which really helped me as a sort of younger practitioner coming in um, with his experience and expertise around that area. And so we've, we've kept that with a lot of the key principles sort of sort of to now really. Um, so it's been good. And in terms of that reflective sort of practice, because obviously it just gave that opportunity, didn't it, with, with COVID and lockdown and all the rest of it for, for you to do that. But how does that look now going forward in terms of, how often does that get re-looked at? Um, is that through, is that been put in place in terms of a structure or is that just giving you that chance to lock in that process and that structure that it doesn't really need touching now? Yeah, I think I think with anything, it's important that you once you do set sort of out like your process and what you want to get after from a from any standpoint, but let's say it's long-term affective development, what you want to, you want to get after these certain ages it's important that you then give it time i think yeah sort of a sin or like a an error that i might see is that people will sort of sell their story and say we want to do this they'll do it for six weeks and then they change their mind because they've seen something new or something flashy that they want to do instead so it's but it's like you have to for me at probably season is the best time to reflect at the end of a season mm. so you've done this for a season now okay what do you think of the of the issues with it what do we think that how we can solve those issues moving forward? What do we think is actually really good about what we've been doing and what do we want to continue doing? Um, so that's something that we probably look at. Well, you probably naturally look at it over the over the course of a season if you're if you're thinking about what you're doing and you're reflective about it. Um obviously end of season provides some good opportunities to really reflect on the bigger picture, which is what we've been able to do this year with some new staff. Um so this year's been sort of been like a, a bigger piece for us. I think whatever you do, you have to give it time to settle in and time to have its impact. Um, obviously, how you measure that impact is you, you probably won't know that unless, especially with the youth guys, you probably won't know that necessarily. But yeah, you have to give it time. Um, so it's not necessarily like a, I'd say a season's a good a good time just because you have a period at the end, a period at the start where you can sort of like reflect and set out your story a little bit, but I think a constant reflection process is useful in that it will give you those sort of bigger picture ideas when it gets to the end of the season or to your reflective period or whatever that is. I think it's a great point because across the season, you're going to come across so many different scenarios and circumstances, aren't you? So it's a it's a good test of whatever you're trying to implement, isn't it? Yeah, especially with like the, especially in academies, like the week-to-week schedule can be, can be so different. So like if you... If you're only working, even over the course of like two, three months, you know, two of those weeks might be, um, they might have tournaments on the weekend or there might be a half term thrown in there. Um, there's lots of had exams and all that kind of stuff. So because it fluctuates so much and at different times of the year, there's there's such different sort of priorities. Um, it's important that you probably want to have like a consistent approach and then yeah. two, you're able to run that approach for, a longer period of time so you know that so you know that at the back end that we can we can honestly say that we've run that program and then you can have really like honest reflections and and true reflections on what you've actually tried to do brilliant we could probably do a whole podcast on uh, we mentioned the alumni event at at Goodison yeah. um, and you presented on that and I wanted to just um finish the podcast with what you actually spoke about in that event and that was around using video um as an analysis tool for you as a coach and i thought it was brilliant because we don't speak about it do we so much we talk about using it for players um but actually making yourself up listening back to the phrases and the terminology that you're using i thought it was it was a great bit of um well it's a great presentation something that coaches can learn a lot from but within that process what were some of the key takeaways? And for, for people listening, they're thinking, right, maybe I could do that. What what would you be your advice to them? Yeah, so I guess the background of it initially was that because I was in, I think I started it, I started doing it when I was sort of like in the 15, 16s, but I sort of like lead nine sixteens role. I think we might have been short-staffed at the time. And, and like what I found was I was, I was, I was probably seeing every, over the course of two weeks, I was probably seeing and delivering to every kid or player, nine to 21, pretty much. 
um, just because of sort of the size of the program and then what we were able to do and see. So I thought, similar to what we spoke to about earlier, I thought, okay, how does my stuff differ? How does my sort of personality or my coaching style differ across different ages? And that was sort of like the the start of it. Um, it's something that, like you say, coaches do often in terms of they're mic'd up and they'll get some feedback on their coaching style or feedback on certain drills, et cetera. I think we're probably guilty of not doing it as sports scientists, as, as medicine staff, just that whole sort of performance realm. Um, so I started to sort of feel myself doing like a wide variety of sessions. I think the ones I showed were across different ages. So it was like under 10, there was under 16s, uh, under 21s. And I just wanted to look at initially how sort of I differed as a coach across those different ages. And then obviously the reflective piece behind that was, okay, is, is what I'm doing there actually good for that age? So if I'm, for example, if I'm coming out with a lot of um, negative feedback in an under nine session, then is that necessarily going to be good for them? Or should I be reinforcing a lot of the positive things that they're doing instead? Um, so that was sort of like the process behind it. And yeah, I found it, I found it really useful. Um, it's something that I sort of carry on with now on like a semi-regular basis in terms of getting myself filmed, getting myself mic'd up, watching stuff back. I think a lot of practitioners get themselves filmed, but I think you get a real insight when you when you mic yourself up. So there's instances where in sessions I've I've heard myself back and I'm saying the same word five times over. I'm saying like, oh, stick it, stick it, stick it. Or I'm saying, go, go, go. And I think, I think if people reflect honestly, now maybe listen to this or whether they mark themselves up then they'll hear that in themselves as well um so it was just something i found interesting initially obviously probably the analysis skill set that we spoke about before probably helped in the facilitating it with cameras and mics and whatever but yeah it was it was a good process and something i'd probably encourage everyone to do and with that now when you're coaching and you're not being filmed and, and recorded does it make you um, try and be more precise maybe with, with your coaching how's that changed when you're away from like the camera and the microphone yeah so the, the main thing obviously when you're on when you're on the mic and the camera it's difficult to know whether you're being your true self but you do yeah. kind of you do kind of like forget about it after a couple of minutes that you that you're actually doing that um or that you're actually on the mic or whatever um because you're listening to it back and you are hearing errors and stuff like that so it's like okay that probably is what I actually do um in terms of like what I do now, I think I'd focus more on like giving different types of feedback, sort of like I alluded to before. So um, not only sort of correcting the uh, the bad stuff or the stuff that needs improving, um, but praising the really positive stuff. If the 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 thing that needs improving, how do I affect that in different ways? So do I use some is that, is that like a guided discovery thing or is it like um, something specific, like a physical specific thing that they need to do? They need to plant their outside foot further away from the centre of mass, for example. Or do I say, okay, how can you explore that movement to get quicker in your turn or whatever? And then they figure it out themselves. Um, so it's just having like a broad range of tools, if you like, like communication tools. And then obviously that extra like layer of detail is what that looks like across each age group so if you're delivering at nines what does that look like they're delivering at 12s what does that look like um which is still something i think i'm yet to figure out um but it's a it's a worthwhile process definitely yeah no i wanted to touch on it because i do think it, it's massively beneficial that for coaches and uh the way you presented it i thought it was really interesting as well so yeah. cheers for covering that um we'll go on to some of the questions that we wrap the podcast up with the first is, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, I think I've, I've spoke, obviously, about um, spoke about John, Jack, Nick, Jason, those guys at Everton. And I'll have to say the analysis guys as well, Andy, Tom Gardner was there at the time. Everyone was sort of involved in that, like, internship process was was obviously really sort of, sort of valuable for me. Um, and then... At Villa, so probably the two lead guys that that I've been under have been Dean, Dean Harris. Um, so he was brilliant in terms of, especially those nine to sixteen age groups. He really gave me a lot of insight into um, like LTAD and and all stuff within growth maturation and all those bits. 
Um, Dan Lovian, who's our, who was our lead sports scientist, he's just left, but he was sort of really good for me as well, especially around like the people skills and the softer side. So that was probably a really strength, a really area strength of his. But I think there's lots to be picked up from like probably my family as well. Like my my mum's a head teacher, my dad's self-employed, so obviously like I used to see my mum doing long hours, which is something I do now. I used to see my dad, you know, having to having to really um push his own business and his own brand. Um which is something that's important as well. So I think probably picked up a lot without knowing it from them. And I probably see a lot of it in myself now from from what I've seen from them. So, yeah, family was a big one, as well as sort of the people I spoke about there. I'm probably going to – someone's probably listened to this back and think, why hasn't he mentioned me? Like, <laughs> but <laughs> that's the name that's going into my head. I know it's hard to narrow down, isn't it? Well, no, no, they're <laughs> great. And I think family's a massive one. People don't seem, tend to bring that up so much but they're, mm. they're going to be huge influences with the amount of time that you spend with people aren't they so i think that's a great yeah. point um what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner um i think i think i'm able to provide like good good energy every day i'd like to think that's some something that people would say about me and i think that's that's really, really important to both in a in a long season like football is um and in environments that can be can be harsh, can be grueling at times. Um, when you're mid-season and your summer break seems so far away, and your winter breaks just been and all that kind of stuff. It, like it seems like sometimes you you're working all the time. So I think having good energy and bringing that to other people as well as players is really important. And I'd like to think, well, I don't know if it's definite, but I'd like to think that people who work with me or have worked with me could could say that as well. Um, just being able to pick people up and I think it's about having a passion for what you do which I feel like I have um, I definitely know that I have a passion for what I do um, and able to give that energy to other people so I would say that energy would be my, my main one and if you were able to speak to James back before you did your internship what would be if you were to pick out one key bit of career advice what would that be? Tough. Um, just do every, just do everything like like we spoke yeah. about before. Just probably even more than what I did. Just throw just throw yourself into to all sorts. Like speak to every person. That was probably something I was guilty of of not doing enough. Like getting to know everyone within the building, like from the cleaner down to the academy manager or what, like whatever it is. Um, like speak to everyone, get to know everyone's story, as well as like throw yourself into all aspects of your work so don't leave a certain area to chance or even if you're not quite getting on with an area don't sort of just like pie it off for want of a better term like just stick with it be diligent with everything and I think you'll reap the rewards in the end that was something I thought I did a good job with at the time but would definitely be something that if I could go back I would do even more of because like we spoke about I think it's been really really beneficial to have that really broad sort of like upbringing if you like in the industry um because it leaves you with a broader skill set i think it's funny at that that sort of age isn't it because you focus so much on like the technical side of roles and knowledge where you probably don't actually realize the people that are surrounded you day to day and it's yeah. just utilizing that isn't it and making the most out of that opportunity yeah definitely and there's like people i look back on it now um so for example, John Noonan was at Everton when I was there. Yeah. I think right now, I think, well, like, well, why didn't I spend like every hour of my day with John? Do you know what I mean? You think, you do think, you do think about those type of things. So I think, yeah, that would be my advice to a current intern or a future intern or like me in, a, in the past, I would say that not just, not just John as a specific example, but everyone gets to know everyone, gets to know their skill sets and then staying in touch with them after. Yeah. And important as well, just building your network and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's great advice. What's your approach now, James, to CPD? Continued learning, just developing as a practitioner now. What do you do for that? Um, so I'm on the basis pathway, which is something that is sort of like, I think with most people, is sort of tickling along nice and slowly in the background. Um, I'm I'm getting after sort of my UKCA at the moment, so I really want to get that ticked off because I think that that'd be a good one for me, both in terms of what I do 
uh, as a role as well as like taking that off as a qualification I think it'd be important something that my masters at John Moores was was really heavy on was was prepping you for that and something I've probably tried I've kept on top with since I left so I feel like that would be a good step for me next um, and something I find really really good is just catching up with people from from different clubs different programs seeing what they've going on because everyone has a similar way of doing it but there's little nuances and little different bits that you can pick up from lots of different programs so just yeah just just getting around as many people as you can whether that's through friends of a friend or people that you know um i find that really good so i try and jump on you know regular zooms and and calls with people that i know sort of like around the country or whatever different clubs just to sometimes just catch up as a mate but also just to see what they've got going on if they're doing anything different anything new um because the best coaches a fever, right? That they can, they can take, they can take ideas from from anyone and apply it to their environment. So, I think that those type of things are important as well. Yeah, brilliant, James. That's been quality, mate. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, just finish us up with: if people want to reach out, ask questions on anything, where would you direct them to go? Um, probably LinkedIn is the best place. Just yeah, I'm, I'm probably the only James Conway on LinkedIn. It's not a very common name, so. Yeah, that or that or Twitter. I think my Twitter is probably similar. James Conboy. Again, if you just search that, it's probably going to come up. I think, yeah, Conboy's all right. But yeah, thanks very much for having me on, Ben. Sorry, I appreciate it. No, it's up, man. Thanks, James. No worries. Cheers. Big thank you for listening to episode 242 with James and a big thank you to him for coming on. Go and check him out on socials. He is at James Conboy over on Twitter and you can also connect with him over on LinkedIn. Um, In terms of takeaways on this one, I think one of the standouts is just the broad range of experience that he's got across a number of different roles. He spoke about the experience in terms of the analysis side, um, but also working across different age groups as well. And another part of that is the fact that he said about enjoying the academy journey, the experience of working with academy players and watching them progress and develop through the age groups is really important, something that he's obviously got a passion for, and I think that's really important. And then also finding out what makes them tick, what makes these individuals tick, and, and tying in that with your approach, that you're, how, how to engage with every individual within the team setting. Another really important thing I, th- I found that he said was around working with teenagers. They need consistency. So... They can't come in with the sort of mood swings that they have as, as a teenager. And one minute you're all singing or dancing, the next you're really quiet and and um, maybe a little bit off with them. You need to be consistent. So if your coaching style is that you're going to be um, energetic, they need that every single session. The other takeaway for me, and I'd love to hear yours. So if you give the podcast a share, please post some takeaways on that share as well, is... Um, where he, when he said about having natural conversations, so not forcing any conversations, but literally getting into conversations with players that naturally you'll find out a little bit about them, maybe about the family, the likes, the dislikes. Um, and then that develops that trust. It develops that relationship with players, but it has to be natural. So they were some of the takeaways for me. I'd love to hear yours. Please reach out. As always, I'd love to hear what you took away from the podcast. And please give it a share as well with anyone that you think would be interested. If you've not already left us a review, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click the five stars and a short comment on Apple. You don't even need to do a comment on on Spotify, so please head over and do that. It does massively help the podcast. And just finally for me, if you've not already, make sure you go and follow our sponsors. They're doing some great work. The Good Prep in Food Prep Delivery Service. There's also Hytro. Everything around BFR, make sure you check out Hydro and Rezzle doing some brilliant work in the world of VR. So go at least give them a follow on socials and check out some of the great work they're doing. Thank you again for supporting the podcast and listening. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 243.